I'm just so proud, man, of, you know, where I've come from. And, you know, it's just crazy that a guy from a small town, Mexico, Missouri, you know, it was more people in the stands tonight, double than it is in my hometown. You now we have 11,000 people in my hometown, and you got 22,000 in the arena tonight. So it's just an unbelievable feeling and just happy that, you know, a small town boy can do something positive and show the younger kids that, you know, there is hope, um, there is, you know, time to grow as a person and, and to do the right thing. And it just, it's an unbelievable feeling. everybody to the Lakers Legacy Podcast where it looks like the Lakers have finally tied up some loose ends and found their new head coach. Tommy, did you get that? Tied up loose ends? Ty Lu, he's our new head coach. Oh, oh. <laughs> so there it is. Former Lakers champion, LeBron's former Cavaliers coach, the only man to beat the Golden State Warriors during their championship era under Steve Kerr, Ty Lue, your new Lakers head coach. Pretty much as close to official as you can get without actually being official, although I hope this podcast does not jinx anything. But hey, Tommy, that's not all. Along with Ty Lue, it seems like former Pacers and Magic head coach Frank Vogel is on his way to shore up things on the defensive end for Ty Lue. Traction, movement, what a concept. And also, the Boston Celtics lost tonight. So, I mean, Tommy, how are you feeling? Well, you know, I'm feeling pretty lit. Um, I'm excited about Ty Lu. The Frank Vogel news was some of the first positive news we've had in a while, I think. Everything seems like it's going in the right direction, at least for now. We'll see how the contract negotiation goes, but... It sounds like uh, they'll be re- ready to announce them pretty soon, probably. Yeah, we've been kind of getting used to bad surprises. So the Vogel surprise, that was a nice turn of events. So yeah, tonight we're just going to talk about the Tyron Lue situation. Also, we're just craving in and out to celebrate the uh, Celtics loss being down 1-3 to Giannis. And also just the Lakers finally actually crystallizing some things this offseason. Before we get to all of that, though, as usual, please follow us on Twitter at Lakers Legacy Pod. Please also rate interview us on iTunes, because the more you rate interview us, that's how many times Lonzo Ball will step over Tyron Lue in practice for fun, just to give him some of that Allen Iverson PTSD and remind him that it's just practice. Practice? Practice. That's what we're talking about. Um, also, if you'd like to help us out in any small way financially, you can do so at patreon.com slash the Lakers Legacy Podcast for as little as a dollar a month or as little as a dollar as a one-off. But most of all, just rate and review us on iTunes. That helps us out a lot. Um, Tommy, believe it or not, the NBA lottery is just a week away. Tuesday, May 14th, the Lakers will learn their lottery ping pong fate. 
If they jump into the top four, stay at number 11, or God forbid, bump down a spot or two, we will know soon enough exactly where the Lakers will be picking in the draft this year. And to help you guys out, we've had some pretty awesome NBA draft episodes, the last two episodes, that uh, you should definitely go and check out if you haven't already. Those two episodes will help you guys brush up on the prospects this year who might end up in the Lakers range. I had the privilege of interviewing the two co-founders of Red Team Scouting for those episodes, and they were able to provide a lot of really in-depth tidbits and gems uh, into every which way the Lakers could go this year. So definitely check that out. It's a good palette teaser for the NBA draft this year. Okay, enough of that out of the way. Tommy, here we are after several weeks of frustrating speculation and blind back and forth, emphasis on blind, on what the Lakers could be thinking or who's even doing all of the thinking in the first place. It now seems that the Lakers' rebound plan after the whole Magic Johnson debacle is finally at least starting to come to light and take form. So with all that being said, and now that we can kind of safely say that Tyron Lue is our head coach, and baked into that obviously the surprising, the pleasantly surprising Frank Vogel news, he is apparently, and this is not set in stone yet, but Chris B. Haynes reported that Frank Vogel is set to supposedly become an assistant head coach to Tyron Lue. Whether he becomes a defensive coordinator or that's his specialty, we just know that he'll probably be the head assistant coach. With all that said, Tommy, how have you felt (laughs) the last few weeks? Um, Because we haven't been talking about the front office. We haven't been talking about, we never did a podcast about our coaching preferences. Outside of our busy schedules and busy lives that we've had to attend to, what's your general sentiment been with all of the, I don't even know if I'd call it turmoil up top because we don't, we have no idea what's even been going on. So at times I've wanted to deliberately stray away from talking about the front office and the head coaching, et cetera, because we frankly just didn't have very much info to go off of. So with that being said, how have you felt about the lead up to this where we are right now and how little information has been put out there by the front office and how little we did know. So I don't really have any hot takes on this. I feel like there are so many hot takes every single day uh, that are happening already with the rest of the media. So I just think I'm, I'm kind of taking a wait and see approach. It's weird because, you know, Matt, it just, you know, the obvious, there are obvious areas where it seems like things have been like really slow and quiet, but some maybe slightly less obvious areas as well. I mean, the big one is obviously Magic Johnson let go, but then it's been four weeks or more than four weeks at this point, and we haven't heard any movement on that front, um, at least public publicly. Um, but there's weird things, too, that don't really seem like they would be impacted by that. Um, we fired Marco Nunez, our head trainer, like... <laughs> two days or something after magic resigned and we have not hired yet another trainer. Um, if you're following like the Pelicans and you know, the moves that David Griffin has been making since he got there, I think one of the first things he did was poach the Phoenix suns trainer who was like super highly coveted, Mm -hmm. um, for a team that has struggled with injuries so much over the last three years or so. It just seems like so odd to me that they weren't prioritizing, you know, it doesn't seem like they're prioritizing that right now. Um, so it's mostly confusion, I guess, is, is is how I would characterize most of the last couple of weeks about what the direction is of the front office. But, you know, things change fast. One week comes and goes, and it's like, 
they hire, you know, their head coach and they make a couple assistant hires and, you know, all of a sudden things start picking up steam. Um, we move on deeper in the playoffs. Maybe certain executives become available and, you know, you make one hire there and things start picking up steam. So things could change really fast. I'm, I think like they're clearly the way that they're behaving is, is, uh, suggesting that they don't really care. You know, this, what their current state is what they're happy with. You know, it sounds like Ty Lue, they got him kind of like, uh, coming up, but it seems like the way that they feel like the way that everything else is going, if it stayed exactly the same, they'd be fine like that. And I think you're going to see kind of like patience, you know, no panic, like, Oh, the media is all over us. Let's do something publicly. I think there's going to be a lot of patience and I don't know. I'm curious to see how, if they're able to pull anything off here. Yeah. I think for me, I I've, I've gotten tired and exhausted by the constant the Lakers are toxic rhetoric, even if it is true. At a certain point, I felt like the discourse around the Lakers was just as toxic, and we were kind of just like playing around and swimming in our own mud. And at a certain point, I was just like, let's just, w- I'll, I'll speak to some things once those things actually come to light, or like once we have solidified anything. And now that we have a head coach, it's like, okay, well, now I can actually talk about this. And like you mentioned, I just didn't want to endlessly speculate about things I really didn't know about when in Jeannie Buss's mind and Rob Palenka's mind, it's probably not as dramatic as everybody is making it out to be (laughs) who's talking about them or trashing them in in the media, even though they might deserve it. For me, like you said, I wanted to always take a wait and see approach. And overall, it's just talking about the inner workings of the front office, which I'm not privy to at all, as much as I can speculate about it. It's just not as fun as talking about what we normally talk about in theorize about with regards to roster construction or off-season plans and free agency because even even when it comes to head coaching like we pick a head coach but we're not going to see the results till four months down the line right or tangible results so I think that's why I've wanted to just stray away from the overall front office head coaching topic till now Uh, but with that said that's a good segue Tyron Lue is our head coach and obviously we had narrowed things down to Tyron Lue and Monty Williams even though Joan Howard was also part of that three-headed horse race. But Monty Williams, who is now the Phoenix Suns head coach, and Tyron Lue were the only two candidates who got two interviews from the Lakers and who it seemed like the Lakers were really pushing hard or who the Lakers were actually doing a full-court press on. So I guess we can just start with what are your thoughts on how this process went about? A lot of people are having a lot of fun with regards to Monty Williams, quote-unquote, choosing the Phoenix Suns over the Los Angeles Lakers. What are your thoughts on that? And do you think at the end of the day, the Lakers got their number one guy, if that even matters? Because to me, I don't freaking care. That's just the perception thing, you know? And it seems like you said, the front office doesn't seem to care too much about what the outside public thinks of them, good or bad. Yeah, so I I just have no idea what what they were thinking necessarily. I... Given everything they've said publicly, and this front office has not really spoken publicly at all since Magic left, but assuming they're going along the same plan that they had when Magic was around, um, this front office has repeatedly said that, you know, shown a recognition um, that the game is moving in a certain direction, shown a recognition that they're, like, open and willing and 
understanding that it's necessary to adopt the modern style of play. And given all of those factors, I can't help but think they would favor somebody like Ty Lue who would coach, who had coached in the modern era and, you know, has the, I, I think I saw a tweet about this, but, uh, earlier today, but, uh, he has the, he's like the only coach that has the right to say in this, you know, last five years that he's beaten the Warriors. So, um, you know, it's like, those are all benefits, um, for him. And I have to think, you know, they know, they saw how he, uh, utilized LeBron along with the rest of that roster. Um, you know, they have all kind. they have, I'm sure they have a lot of film on him and in terms of like how, how well does he draw stuff up? Uh, he was a head coach for long enough to where it's like your strengths and weaknesses start to become known to those who, you know, have better basketball knowledge than us. Um, and I, I just think that they knew enough about him to know probably even earlier during the season that he was probably going to be their guy. Monty Williams, you know, he has a lot of benefits too, in terms of, he has a lot of experience. He has a lot of experience at different levels. Um, he's incredibly well-respected and you have a, good amount of faith that he can get guys to buy in because he's a, you know, known to be a player's coach and all that. But, you know, once you look at the analytics and, and, uh, the, you know, the guys who are breaking down X's and O's on Twitter, it seems like a large majority, a majority of them would have favored Ty Lue over Monty Williams. So you have to think if Twitter can see it, I know this is not always the case, right? And teams make, completely absurd haphazard seeming decisions all the time. But you'd like to think if armchair, you know, basketball analysts can figure certain things out, then a team of guys who are job it is to figure this kind of stuff out could also see those things. Um, so, you know, I don't, I'm sure Monty was a strong contender. I just, and maybe they did make him an offer um, or maybe he was their top choice and he decided Phoenix for his own reasons. But I, I just think it's so much more likely that they always thought Ty Lue was kind of their guy. And then at some point it just becomes, you know, contract negotiations. Like, yeah, we're the Lakers and we can pay whatever for coaches, but you know, people know that. And, you know, in we don't have a lot of leverage given the amount of head coaches out there with prior head coaching experience. So we don't know what kind of money Ty Lue is looking for right now. You know, so it, it's there's just a lot of factors, and and uh, and uh, we'll have to see how everything shakes out. But I don't know. I I think ultimately, like I said, I think Ty Lue might have been their guy the whole time. For you personally, did you have it ranked Ty Lue, Monty Williams, Juwan Howard, like a lot of other Lakers fans did? I did just solely though because of the fact that I think this team in particular can't really take a chance on an assistant who hasn't coached before, like been a head coach, I should say. John Howard, I'm sure could, you know, for all we know is the next coming of Doc Rivers or, you know, (laughs) Steve Kerr or Rick Carlisle or whoever, you know, so it's like, you just don't know, but we are not in a position to take that kind of risk. I I just think that they must have had, for that reason, I I would have had, you know, Ty Lue, then Monty, then Juwan. Um, Once you start opening up it up to assistants, it just gets so weird because it's like, there are so many more experienced assistants out there. You can't help but think like the Juwan Howard thing was Rob Palenka, like doing his, his fab five boy, a solid there, you know, the more your name is out there getting interviews for head coaching gigs, the more you become like a, uh, in everybody's mind who's looking for a new coach. 
Yeah, that's a good point. And the Jason Kidd interview may have just been an agent favor sort of deal. Exactly. You know, with regards to Monty Williams, I... Look, I didn't really have a hot take or preference either way with all of these candidates. All of them have their flaws. And at the end of the day, I think Ty Lu represented the most well-rounded candidate. Maybe Monty Williams blows him out of the water with regards to recruiting and likability and just all of his anecdotal life stories that he has and the ways that he can relate to players and all that. But Again, he hasn't coached. He hasn't been a head coach for like five years, right? And while his resume is versatile, he can say that he worked in the the Spurs front office and then has been an assistant coach with Brett Brown for the Sixers, a team that's excelling in the playoffs. All of those are good things. But like you said, it would almost be taking a risk on Monty Williams as well, just as it would be taking a risk on Juwan Howard because Monty Williams, the last time he coached, and Pete outlined this very well in his uh, X's and O's video of Monty Williams a lot of his plays and, and style and system were outdated. It's, it was very mid-range heavy, ISO heavy, not a lot of spacing involved. And so while we can give him the benefit of the doubt and say, well, that was five years ago and maybe he's learned a lot of things along the way from being part of a front office to coaching with the Sixers, we, we also just don't know. We, we can only go off of benefit of the doubt at that point, right? With regards to Monty Williams choosing the Suns, you know, I'm sure... Monty Williams thought long and hard about wanting to be the coach of the Los Angeles Lakers. But also, we don't know the contractual offer that we gave him. Because I think the Phoenix Suns gave him a five-year deal. Yeah, well, we, we don't even know if we gave him an offer. We don't even know if we gave him an offer, but let's just say we offered him something. Let's say the Lakers offered him three years. Just looking at it contextually, and I know this sounds silly because the Phoenix Suns just fired Igor after one year, but just thinking about long-term job security... And it's not even about the Lakers being a toxic organization and being in the limelight all the time. But just objectively speaking, don't you think that Monty Williams is probably like, the years are longer on this contract, and also, I'll probably have a better chance of staying the Phoenix Suns head coach by the end of this contract than I will be the Los Angeles Lakers head coach. Yeah, and guys are motivated by a variety of factors, too. You know, some guys might put, uh, you know, a lot of importance on being able to make an impression on a team or put their stamp on a team. And when you're coaching a team of all young guys with an upcoming, another top pick, mm -hmm. you know, you have that a really good opportunity to do that. Um, whereas when you're coaching a team that's like trying to win immediately and contend for a championship immediately, you don't necessarily have, you're not making a lasting impact on these players. And for some guys, I can see why that could be really meaningful and important. Yeah, and that's not an indictment on Monty Williams. And also, even if he, quote-unquote, chose the Suns over the Lakers, that's also not an indictment on the Lakers, I feel like, you know? It's just, like you said, if he's trying to make his mark again, the best way to do that is with a young and upcoming team because then you'll actually see a tangible progression. Because even if Monty Williams led this LeBron James-led team this upcoming season to like a 55-win year, he's probably not, not going to get most of the credit anyway, right? But if he makes the Suns a 35-win team in one offseason, he's going to get a lot of praise for that. He's going to get most of the credit, actually. So I think all of those points factored into his inevitable decision, and I don't think it's an indictment on the Lakers being a toxic situation. And this is all under the hypothetical that he actually was offered something by the Lakers and actually had the choice to, which a lot of people are running with. With that said, Tommy, let's just talk about Tyron Lue and some more of the positives with hiring Tyron Lue and with him Frank Vogel 
Although I do think it's interesting. I would have wanted to see what what would have happened if, let's say, we had hired Monty Williams and then people would have been up in arms and in panic mode. But then what if he had also hired Frank Vogel, you know, as his assistant coach? And done a better job of filling filling out his staff around himself. You know, I, I wonder what the what the discourse would have been in that scenario. But with regards to Tyron Liu, yeah, what are some positives outside of maybe the things that you've mentioned? Him being the only coach to beat the Curled Warriors in the finals, he's got that badge of honor. I think for me, this is this is going to go under mention, but I actually like that when everything was going down with Luke Walton. He showed a level of respectability and being a respectable guy with integrity, uh, made sure that he didn't want to overstep his bounds while Luke was still hired. I know that's a small little thing, but for me, I kind of took notice of that and probably lends itself to the type of guy and character that Tyron Lue is. Um, With regards to his playing career and his coaching career, he's dealt with a number of big personalities, obviously dealing with Kobe and Shaq during... um, the dynasty years, the three-peat years. Obviously, he's coached LeBron, Kyrie Irving, Kevin Love. He even played with Michael Jordan during Michael Jordan's reunion tour with the Washington Wizards. So obviously, Tyron Lue is no stranger to big personalities and egos. And I know he's been on record as saying that he is looking forward to one day hopefully coaching a team with younger players to see whether he can stem the tide between dealing with stars and younger players. And with the Lakers, if they don't ship out most of their guys this offseason, he'll get the chance to do that. But I do think that with regards to Kyrie Irving, he's selling himself a little bit short because I think he helped shepherd Kyrie's emergence as a rising young star and also helped juggle that, juggle Kyrie Irving along with, you know, LeBron's supernova stature. So I think on that end, he also has some experience as well. I think with regards to LeBron James, obviously, as everybody, as many people have pointed out, he's shown some autonomy for himself. He's not a guy who's afraid to stand up to LeBron James, call him out, and set up that accountability. I think he's even earned LeBron James' trust and respect in that manner. And then when it comes to X's and O's, obviously, I'm sure people have watched Pete Zayas, Laker Film Room's videos. I think he has two videos right now out on Ty Lu. It just seems like Tyron Lue is very forward-thinking with regards to his principles and sets and always wanting to space the floor out for a LeBron James or a Kyrie Irving. And during his last years with the Cavs, Tyron Lue really was a strong advocate for pushing the pace. And while it took LeBron a long time to finally get on board with that, the the Cavs actually excelled when they started playing faster. Uh, Obviously, defensively, they were lacking and I think that's an understatement especially the last season that he was head coach of the Cavaliers when LeBron was there but with regards to his offensive principles I think Tyron Lue is ahead of the curve or at the very least just part of this new revolution of pace and space and actually setting his offense up to accommodate that more so than a Luke Walton did so yeah for you what are some of the positives tangible positives that you can point to with regards to Tyron Lue and why you have a bit of hope with this next hiring for the Lakers um, I just like the fact that Tyron Lue has he has experience coaching at the highest level. I I know there's this jo- well for some people it's not a joke, right? But everybody likes to talk about uh, Coach LeBron, among other things, GM LeBron playing LeBron and Coach LeBron. But LeBron, you know, we talk about it all the time. LeBron. One reason a coach might not want to come here is you win 55 games with LeBron. It's like, okay, well, you were supposed to. And everybody is always going to assume things when things go right, it's LeBron, not just because of his playing, but influencing the coaching somehow. And then when things go wrong, it's the coach. It's the coach. 
only. Um, and I think that, you know, Ty Lue does not get enough credit for what happened in, in Cleveland. He took over a team from David Blatt that was 500, you know, like 50 games into the season or something. They went on an awesome run. Um, they went all the way to the finals in his first season, including winning 10 playoff games in a row. I don't care how, you know, quote unquote weak or conferences or what. It's your first time as a coach. It was the first year with this roster. And to win 10 consecutive playoff games is like pretty incredible. Yes, some of that was due to LeBron's, a lot of that maybe was due to LeBron's greatness. But some of that was due to Ty Lue just, you know, figuring his stuff out really fast and getting guys to buy in. Um, after the first year, you know, Kevin Love was, I, and I'm not going to say like boohoo, the Cavs didn't really have three all-stars. Okay. But Kevin Love after that first year was not Kevin Durant or Clay Thompson or Steph Curry caliber, you know, type of player at best. He was overall impact like a Draymond green. He gave you something offensively that was valuable and he got rebounds, but he was such a defensive liability, you know? So it, he was not by no means a perfect player. He was by no means the all-star that he once was. And um, that team just consistently went to the finals, you know, and we're talking about LeBron James and yeah, it's LeBron James, but it's LeBron James and a 23 or so 23, 24 year old Kyrie Irving. And then a bunch of guys who were just like pretty good. And they were consistently dominating the East, you know, and, and it's just, at some level, you ha- the coach has to get some credit there. So I, I just give Ty Lue a lot of props, and I don't think he gets enough for how well things went in Cleveland. Um, I think he he's going to bring a, you know, a degree of respect just because he has that experience. I think he gets the respect from LeBron because LeBron knows what they did last time they were together. Uh, there's some familiarity there. Um I think he has respect of other coaches. I mean, if the rumor is true, we're kind of talking about a lot of this stuff like it's all done, but it's really rumors at this point. But if the rumor is true that uh, Frank Vogel is lined up to to, to be uh, Ty Lue's uh, top assistant, you know, he must have respect of other coaches around the league as well, which is a big mm-hmm. thing. So all of these things, I think, are things to look forward to with uh, Ty Lue. Yeah, what do you think about his initiative or him just taking the initiative to try and even before Frank Vogel, we had heard that he tried to sell Jeannie Buss on the fact that, oh, I'm going to try and get Tom Thibodeau to be my assistant coach. And, you know, I think for him, just having that sort of, uh, I don't even know what to call it, autonomy for himself, believability in himself to not feel threatened by taking on such high profile assistant head coaches and saying, well, I'll, I'll be the head coach and I'm not afraid to surround myself with the best of the best, having that confidence in himself. But yeah, I guess what what are your thoughts on just him taking the initiative to do that and really just sell out and prove that, hey, I really want this job and I'll do whatever it takes. And I'll do it with guys who, you know, they might be chasing after my own job in a few years. Yeah, well, I think it's awesome. And I think it's awesome because it shows a sense of awareness that we have not seen from you know, our front office and really our coaching staff in recent years. I mean, I love Luke. I'm not trying to talk bad about him. He's not our coach anymore. So I'll just say this, like Luke would say a lot of things that all sounded good, but it was very rare in his tenure here that you would consistently see those things, you know, 
applied or like, you know, him putting his money where his mouth is. It was, it was fairly rare. And I like the fact that if this Frank Vogel thing is true, Ty Lue is like, Hey, I know one of my weaknesses is defense. You know, anybody can look at the analytics. He has a brain. It shows him awareness. I've seen the analytics. Like my teams perform very well, arguably overperform offensively, but then perform very poorly, poorly, arguably underperform defensively. So I've looked at all this stuff. I have awareness of it. And this is what I'm doing to, you know, deal with that. And here, you know, before he's even officially hired, here's the first step. The fact that this is a side mini side tangent, but the fact that (laughs) this article came out today with like, oh, Frank Vogel might be lined up and they're working through the contract. It almost sounds like if that has been leaked at this stage, because it sounds like they must be pretty close. So if that has been leaked at this stage, it almost sounds like Ty Lu is just like they're working out the final kinks for his contract. Um, because like I said, the Lakers don't necessarily want to overpay um, for somebody they're not a, a thousand percent sold on. Um, right. And uh, maybe the hold up with – maybe Frank Vogel is already like lined up also, but they just – they can't announce the assistance until they have their coach. Because it's – you know, especially when it's a coach bringing guys in, it could be like a – not a necessarily a package deal, but like – Frank Vogel is agreed to be an assistant, but with Ty Lu, not necess- maybe not necessarily if the Lakers go higher at Tori Messina, let's say for example. I don't Frank Vogel's Ooh. not necessarily committed in that case, but that's just an example. There's no rumors, obviously, but But I mean, yeah. how sick would that be? Because Frank Vogel would essentially be the defensive coordinator. You get a Tori Messina from the Spurs to be the offensive coordinator. Tyron Lu is the melding of both. That would be so sick, dude. I guess. But at some level, it's like the, you know, you play to your strengths and like Ty Lue's strength seems to be offense. So you got to give him a chance to put his imprints on on the team too. That's fair. Let's act like the Frank Vogel thing is quote unquote done. Frank Vogel's resume is pretty amazing. For one thing, I didn't know, thanks to Pete Zayas, I know this now, that he used to be a head scout or was it, is it scout? Yeah. I mean, he was a scout. I don't know if he was the head scout, but he was definitely in like the scouting department. So maybe he was even part of the Andrew Bynum draft. Um, but anyways, with regards to his act, his actual coaching career, he was part of those Indiana Pacers teams with George Hill, Roy Hibbert, David West, that went to the conference finals twice in a row, 2012, 2013, 2013, 2014, kind of like, Tyron Lue helped shepherd Kyrie Irving along. He helped shepherd Paul George along. He also helped shepherd Lance Stevenson, Lance Born Ready Stevenson, and helped him get to that career season of his. And just the fact that he went head-to-head with LeBron James in those series is pretty incredible. And obviously defense is is his calling card. And with Roy Hibbert, he turned Roy Hibbert into a defensive player of the year candidate and helped the rise of verticality, you know, with Roy Hibbert. And so it just, I don't know, I just feel a lot more confident, even though we don't have anything tangible to really hold on to with regards to show us the results now, but just looking at their history and their resume, even just on an optics level, right? And, you know, optics is a very fleeting thing. But with regards to how this summer has gone and how badly the optics have been for the Lakers... And I don't want to go into, you know, the name brand thing because that seems to be a Lakers staple. But I think this is different than that because Frank Vogel is not necessarily tied to LeBron James. He's not tied to the Lakers. He's just a good coach. 
The Orlando Magic teams, I feel like we have to give him an asterisk for those because the Orlando Magic, they haven't had a solid team since forever and they were still working out the kinks of who the heck they were building their team around. But with regards to his resume with Indiana Pacers, he's just a good coach and I just like the fact that Tyron Lue reached out to him and it seems like they're going to bring him in as part of this coaching staff and hopefully the caliber of talent is going to be like what we had when um, Mike Brown was the head coach. Was that the year when we had Quinn Snyder? Yeah, we had like Quinn Snyder, Steve Clifford, um, <laughs> Ettore Messina actually <laughs> yeah. was one of our assistants. Uh, and like two, like one other guy, I feel like who was, who also, oh, uh, Bickerstaff, the older one, not, not JB, yeah. the, his dad. Yeah. But anyways, it seems like it's it seems like we're going in in that direction of really just trying to find the best talent available to help bolster our coaching staff. So with that said, let's talk about concerns really quick about Tyron Lue. I think for me, I'm a little worried about the tune-out factor from LeBron James just because while it's a good thing in some senses that he's been in the trenches with Tyron Lue and there's that familiarity and comfort, on the flip side, familiarity and comfort also tends to breed complacency and maybe in LeBron's case, indifference and him maybe being more liable to tune Tyron Lue out when things go bad. So I think that's one of the things I want to, I'm kind of cautious about and want to look out for because even with regards to Tyron Lue wanting to push the pace and try new things, LeBron James wasn't really amenable to that at the start. Why was he amenable to the Lakers pushing the pace and Luke Walton pushing the pace? Well, it's because he was in, an, in a new situation and a new environment where things were fresh. So obviously he was excited about the prospects and he was more willing to nod his head and say yes. But I'm afraid that with Tyron Lue back into the fold and LeBron James seeing a familiar face that while there's going to be a honeymoon period again where everything's cool, I'm worried about when things get bad and LeBron James is like, oh, Ty Lue, been there, done that, heard this, heard that, and he'll just tune Tyron Lue out. Are you worried about that at all? It's not a huge thing, but it's there. Um, I'm not worried about that at all. I mean, I think you could easily say that he would tune out anybody who doesn't deliver. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I could. You could also. You could easily make the counter argument. Maybe distance makes the heart grow fonder. You know what I mean? Maybe <laughs> LeBron being away from Ty Lue for a year and seeing how bad things could be. <laughs> you know, it, maybe it makes him appreciate some of the things that he might have not liked that uh, Ty Lue was doing before, you know, so who knows what, what the, what the impact is going to be, but I'm not super concerned about that. I mean, at this point, like it, it's kind of sad to say this um, because it's LeBron and we were so excited when we signed him, but LeBron is not like, we need to really focus on the second free agent and that, that second free agent that we signed this summer is going to be whoever it is. God willing, if we sign somebody, um, is that is really going to be, you know, more of the focus moving forward in a lot of ways, because LeBron is pretty old. He's not going to be able to carry it. He's still going to be like a, like a top 10 at worst player in the NBA at worst. Um, and arguably every year he gives you a chance to be top five, you know, so he's still going to be very, very good. But when it comes time for the playoffs, when it comes time for, you know, big games, we're going to be leaning on other guys just as much as him. And I'm not, you know, if LeBron is maybe gets a little burnt out about Ty Lue and his coaching philosophies or whatever he's trying to do, then I don't know that that's as big of a deal as 
making sure our, you know, it fits with the rest of our team and especially whoever else we sign. With regards to the young core, and I know I did mention that Kyrie Irving was relatively young when Tyron Liu coached the Cavs and he helped sort of steer Kyrie Irving to that next level. And in the same vein, I feel like he helped Kevin Love, even though you mentioned that he was not all-star Kevin Love. Well, I think he helped Kevin Love fill a role, you know, and be okay with accepting that role player position, kind of the way that Chris Bosh had to lower his stature from him being an all-star and being the go-to guy all the time to just being that guy who plays defense and stands in the corner sometimes. And I think it's important to note that that's, that's not a small thing to get somebody to buy in like that. A guy like Kevin Love, who's used to being the man, even though I know LeBron James is his teammate, Tyron Lue still had to finesse some things there. And that's important to note as we enter into uh, free agency. But I guess with regards to the young guys, what are your thoughts on him maybe meshing well with the young guys? Do you think he's a relatable dude? He doesn't have a wife or a girlfriend right now. It seems like he's in... <laughs> play a player! <laughs> play a player indeed! I mean, just his interactions with guys like J.R. Smith and things I've seen on social media. Seems like a very relatable players coach type of guy too, but also someone who yeah. will tell it like it is and uh, tell you to sit your ass down or shut the hell up if need be. Uh, but what are your thoughts on him taking on you know, the young core of Lonzo Ball, Brandon Ingram, Kyle Kuzma, Josh Hart. And do you, are you worried that should we bolster our team and roster like we hope we do in the offseason and we get more veterans in that he'll know how to establish a culture of accountability that is not laden with double standards all over the place and that he won't favor this veteran or that veteran and that it'll really be just uh, performance-based? I think... I think he definitely will. I mean, he's shown, like you said, good player development um, with the Cavs. I mean, you also you even remember like Tristan Thompson was pretty raw when uh, mm. when LeBron came back. So there were young players. There were many young players on those teams. Matthew Dellavedova was a big part of a lot of those teams. Um, so you know, there's just like there's a lot of evidence that uh, he has a really good. Um, you know, knack for player development. I mean, I, you don't know if it was him or other guys on the staff, but he's at least been exposed to young players. And like you said, he seems like a guy who gets along with everybody. I mean, I think he could do a lot of good things for the young core. I think the guys are definitely going to respect him. I think the guys, you know, it's easier to, it's unless you have like a Jim Boylan type or like a, like a guy who is going to be like a, harsh dictator type of coach young guys tend to you know mesh with everybody I, I mean there were reports that when the bucks fired uh jason kidd Giannis was upset you know what i mean so it's like young guys are are gonna mesh with a lot of different coaches they're impressionable and young and i think it's easier for them even than it is for for veterans but i think like you know the examples you brought up brought up of like J.R. Smith and those types of guys. If Ty Lue can get respect of those types of guys, that's also really important. And I'm not saying like Luke didn't wasn't able to do that. I'm just saying that, you know, it's an important thing. Yeah, and I think he has an air about himself from his playing days and career that the young guys will be receptive to, you know, playing with Kobe and Shaq, playing with Michael Jordan. Hopefully that lends itself to him having 
a little bit more respectability and, and maybe the guys will be a little more awestruck. But I'm hopeful with regards to him stemming the tide between the young, the young and the old, the superstars like LeBron James and maybe Kawhi Leonard, who knows? And even with regards to veteran role players, we'll definitely see how those things shake out as we get a freaking press conference, hopefully, for Tyron Lue. I think the one thing that that's most positive about this coaching hire, which again, hasn't even happened yet, is the fact that the Lakers front office will at some point have to face the media. Tyron Lue will have to face the media and Rob Palenka or Jeannie Buss or Linda Rambis, whoever whoever the hell is like running things up top will have to be there. And as we inch closer and closer to the um, lottery day, a Lakers representative will have to be there as well. So lastly, to close the show out, <laughs> just your thoughts on the front office. And um, I, I we've characterize it as being such a weird time just because everything's been so ambiguous and in the dark but as we edge closer and closer to the fact that they just are going to have to face the media how are you feeling about all that um i don't know i really don't know it's gonna be so weird hopeful in what way i don't know are you are you scared to see what exactly they've had cooking (laughs) behind closed doors or I'm not scared. I mean, I think like, I think one thing that they're trying to do, I I don't know. It's hard to say. This is purely speculation. There are a million other theories people could have that could be, you know, probably more valid, but it's never a good look to, to get rejected. And especially in the, in the face of like magic Johnson, just walking away in the way that he did, that's kind of like, you know, interpret it how you will and he can he can be nice about it and you can view it as like he just had a breakdown or whatever. But it was a rejection ultimately. He was under contract and he decided to break his contract and leave. It's not necessarily a good look to get rejected. So I feel like they're playing everything super close to the vest and super quiet and they're trying not to like let too much stuff get out. I mean – you have some reports that, like earlier today or like even late last week that, oh, Ty Lue might be the favorite and then like nothing for several days. And then all of a sudden it's like <laughs> Lakers are, you know, working on contract with Ty Lue and it's like, but it's just like so long and so quiet, you know, everything's so quiet and the Frank Vogel thing now comes out of nowhere and it's just like, I don't know, it's weird. You know what I mean? So it, I, I have some faith that, you know, they'll maybe the reason they're not saying anything or being super quiet is because they're trying to let everything come in order and they want to minimize, like to the extent they like, let's say maybe they wanted Monty Williams. Well, the reason maybe they're keeping everything so quiet is they don't want it to be the public perception that like Monty Williams rejected them, you know? So I don't know, but I'm not saying that's the right way to approach it, but that could be a reason or an explanation for the uh, silence. And if it is, I don't know that, it necessarily gives me a lot of confidence that there is some great master plan. So I just don't know. In the next few days, they will probably have hired a coach and presumably there will be some sort of press conference that follows shortly thereafter. And Yay. that will be theoretically Yay. theoretically like the first time that Rob Palinka speaks publicly <laughs> – you know, in like the last, not even like forget Magic's resigning. It's like when was the last time he spoke publicly before that? Like the trade it's deadline. Crazy. It's crazy. It's going to be no. So it's seriously. Bizarre. It was. I am pretty sure it was like right after the trade deadline was the last time he spoke publicly. And the thing he said that got retweeted to into oblivion was like, 
I wouldn't want to face us in a seven game series. And at that oh, point no. we hadn't won. We hadn't won four out of seven games in like the last two and a half months <laughs> or something <laughs> when he made uh. that statement. So it's like, you know, that was like the last thing I remember him ever saying. It was like an interview in an article or something I read on ESPN. So it's like months that Rob has spoken to the media. So it's going to be so odd. Yeah. Rob Palenka in his famous last words. I wish that they would have just come out and said, hey, we know things are a bit crazy right now. We're still trying to sort through things. We'll get back to you in a minute. Even if they had just made a statement like that, I'd feel a lot more comfortable. Because if you're just contextualizing what happened to them, like you said, they got dumped, right? And I'm sure there had to be a period of time where they had to regroup and rebound from that. And I'm perfectly okay with them putting their head down and going to work, even though the outside perception of them raising Rob Palinka's stature and level, giving Linda Rambis and Kurt Rambis bigger influence into the inner workings of the organization. All of that sounds terrifying. But at the end of the day, if all they're doing was just trying to iron out everything moving forward before they actually step forward into the public after such a debacle, I'm perfectly okay with that. You know, them actually taking their time putting their head down and going to work. And if the results that come out of that is Tyron Liu and Frank Vogel, I don't really have very many complaints. And from a certain angle, I have to feel like Rob Palenka feels a little bit liberated. I feel like he has more freedom to actually do his work because I feel like he was shackled a bit with Magic's looming and influential presence over every move and decision he made. I don't want to go into things like, oh, was Rob Palinka responsible for the Zubats thing? Or who was responsible for drafting Mo Wagner and all that stuff? But Rob Palinka was in the office and doing most of the work for the majority of the time, but he still also had to answer to some level to Magic Johnson, right? And I'm sure that shackled him and hampered him. Now that Magic Johnson's out of the picture, I feel like he can actually do his job, you know? So on that end, I don't know what'll happen. He, he could mess it up even more. He could screw things up, but so far, so good, I think. And, and we'll, we'll see what happens, but I am very interested in hearing what their first public statement out of this will be. I'll, I'll leave it at that. And like I said, I would have hoped that Jeannie Buss would have been more of a leader in this time and not just hold herself away or hold up into seclusion and them just doing their own things. But from what we have heard about the process that they took with this head coaching search, I think it's at the very least encouraging, right? The amount of time they took to assess everything, getting Joey, Joey Buss, or is it Jesse Buss, getting both of them involved in the process, getting the whole Lakers contingent to actually interview Tyron Lue, to actually interview Monty Williams, and getting more people involved than, you know, what was previously happening. I think that's encouraging at the very least. So, um... Yeah, we'll see what happens when Tyron Lue gets officially introduced and what Rob Palinka and Jeannie Buss has to say. Uh, with that said, I think that'll do it for our episode. Tommy, I have one last question to ask you, but do you remember where you were when you saw Tyron Lue as a Laker give Allen Iverson in the finals a run for his money before forever being memed or gift by being stepped over so ruthlessly by Allen Iverson? Well, I, I believe was in fifth or grade or sixth grade oh damn i thought you were so oh i was probably at my parents house oh you were <laughs> well it was in the summer because it was no bro oh wait you're right it was the end of the school year yeah i was probably at uh well i was at home during the game obviously it was at nighttime but yes i was at foothills middle school at that time my question to you is were you in band yet <laughs> 
at Foothills in sixth grade? No, I was not. Okay, so my story of watching Tyron Liu uh, get stepped over by Allen Iverson and us, you know, losing that first game of the finals after going at that point, what were we? 10 and 0, 11 and 0, something like that. We were 11, 11 and 0 because it was that was when the first round was best of five. Right. Us losing that first game, I was in concert band. We had one of those concert band performances at Foothills, and I feel like throughout a large number of very important Lakers games, I've somehow been in some sort of band recital having to watch this shit from like the band room or on the projector or whatnot. And I remember we were in the woods. For some reason, we were being held up in the wood shop, wood shop workshop room. Anyways, yeah, I watched it over there after performing with uh, my bass clarinet. And I was hoping that maybe you were also somehow in that room at the same time with your, uh, what did you play? Baritone? I was not there. I was at, yeah, I was at home uh, watching the game at home. Man, this is a bad story. I apologize. I should have pulled the plug a long time ago. I know where I was when Robert Ori hit the uh, hit the hit the shot. Also at home, broke my coffee table. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, very nice. Well, for the Tyron Lue thing, I was in band wearing a cummerbund. So with that said, that'll do it for our episode. And uh, hey, Tyron Lue, Frank Vogel. We'll see what else is to come. Uh, May 14th, next week, Lottery D-Day. Um, as usual, follow us on Twitter at Lakers Legacy Pod. Please rate and review us on iTunes. Tommy, Ty Lu. 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 All right. I'll catch you later. Later. Peace. All right, dude. Sorry. Let's go get some in and out. 